Well, good morning to everyone gathered around Sioux Falls and your homes and the surrounding region. Uh, last week was Easter Sunday, and it was originally going to be Pastor Steve's last Sunday as our interim pastor. But with the pandemic going on, uh, like he's not going to go overseas to teach, but he'll instead teach from his home remotely. And so he's agreed to stay on for a few more weeks as our interim pastor. So next week he will be back uh, preaching, uh, unless something happens. Who knows? We didn't expect the pandemic, but God knows. Um, today, though, uh, I will be filling in, and we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So you can go ahead and turn there now. We'll be there in a little bit. Um, but if by God's providence uh, this is still going on and we're unable to meet together as one body and worship together as the church, or if we still have yet to vote and figure out the what we're going to do for adoption by Connection Church, um, I'm planning on to continue preaching through the rest of 1 Peter um, at, towards the end of May. So today we'll get a little bit of an introduction, look at the first couple of verses, and then a few weeks from now uh, we might continue on through the rest of 1 Peter. But it's this is really strange, just kind of sitting in my apartment, um, talking to all of you through the camera instead of to you all. But I'm just kind of aching for the day when we can just meet face-to-face -face and worship as one body together. Um, in a way, it's a great reminder of kind of the text we're actually going to cover today, um, where the original readers are kind of scattered and dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. And they're longing for our future home and inheritance. And right now... Uh, these, this audience, uh, these original readers, they're facing suffering and persecution and they're exiles and sojourners, just kind of homesick for a heaven. And I'm sure we've all felt some measure of homesickness before sometime in our lives, whether because we were on a long work trip away from home, maybe we had an extended stay in the hospital, or we moved from one area to a whole another area, city, state, even country. Um, or some other circumstance where we felt like we just weren't where we actually belong. And as Christians, we should always feel this way. Even, even when we're able to come together again and worship with one another. Uh, because when God adopts us into his family... We become citizens of his kingdom, and we're given a different home than this earth. This earth is just temporary. Uh, Jesus says in John 14, verses 2 and 3, In my Father's house there are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So Christ is preparing a home for us, a home that 
won't come into full fruition until he returns to judge the living and the dead and the heavens and earth that are now existing are burned away to give birth to the new heaven and new earth where God dwells with us, with, with man. Um, and there's no longer any sin or death or sickness. Instead, it's what it should be, a perfectly good world um, where we can live with one another and worship God freely and never have to deal with sin. Um, like that's, that's the home we're awaiting. That's the home that uh, Christ will bring about when he is revealed in the last time. So our text today in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, um, it's meant to remind us of who we are in Christ, so then we can live out our new identities in Christ. Um, so let's read these first two verses and then pray. Um, so 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. God, be with us as we study your word and be with me as I preach from your word. Um, Father, use this time for your purposes, and for your glory. And Spirit, open, open our eyes and our hearts to the text that we may be conformed into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, today I was originally going to preach through verses 1 through 9, uh, but then once I started working on my sermon, uh, I realized there's just so much important truth packed into these first two verses. Uh, so we're just going to look at those to start, and then in a few weeks we'll continue on, um, God willing. Um, so these these first two verses here, they lay a foundation for the rest of the letter. They kind of set set the tone, set the pace for what Peter lays out in the rest of the book. Um, so, but whenever we look at a passage of scripture or start a new letter or a new book, um, like one of the, some of the first few questions we need to ask are, who wrote this? Um, who'd they write it to? And why did they write this? So, as we just read, uh, the author is Peter, uh, the apostle Peter. Um, so, Peter... Uh, he and his brother Andrew were actually Jesus' first two disciples recorded in the Gospels. Um, and as Jesus' followers grew and he got more and more disciples, he, he picked out 12 of them to be kind of his inner circle. And then of those 12, he also had three that were kind of his inner, inner circle, which were Peter and then the sons of Zebedee, James and John. Um, Peter is also... Uh, um, his birth name was Simon, uh, but, but Jesus gave him a nickname, a new name. He called him the Rock. And he, he, he told him that he's the rock upon which he'll build his church. Or his called out ones. Um, 
So in Aramaic, uh, like rock is kephas, and so sometimes uh, in, when you're reading scripture, if you come across kephas, that's re referring to Simon Peter or Peter. Um, and in Greek, that's just Petros, which is where we get Peter in English. Um, and Peter, he's, he's the one who briefly walked on water with Jesus um, before he started to doubt and then sank. Um, he's the one who told Jesus on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he wouldn't ever deny him, he wouldn't ever leave him. Uh, but then goes on and denies him three times before he, he repents and weeps over his sin. Um, Peter's also the one who, on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, uh, when God pours out his Holy Spirit upon his people, um, that Peter gives a sermon and 3,000 people come to faith in one day. Um, Peter... Um, so he's, he's one of the apostles, and he writes that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. So apostle, um, that's one of those words that, like, other than reading scripture or being in a church service, uh, we don't really ever use. Um, so what an apostle is, is just a, a sent one or a messenger, uh, someone that's appointed to uh, carry and deliver a message. Um, but then... Uh, it's also a title, and so when we use it as a title, we're referring specifically to either the 12 apostles, uh, which were Jesus' 12 disciples, except for Matthias, who placed the betrayer, Judas Iscariot. Um, or it refers to Paul, who's also an apostle. And so when we use it as a title, it's someone that uh, saw Jesus and was appointed specifically to be a foundation for the church. So uh, like the apostles, they, they lived with Jesus through his ministry and followed him. Um, and then when Jesus ascended into heaven in Acts 2, he, he gave them authority and told them to spread the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then Paul uh, he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, uh, and he was struck blind afterward and told that he was appointed to be an apostle to the Gentiles, or non-Jews. Um, and so, when we're talking about the apostles, we're talking either about those 12 apostles, or we're talking about Paul, um, and so Peter's saying here that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, that he's a sent messenger appointed by Jesus Christ, that this letter that he's writing is under the authority of Jesus Christ, and it is from Jesus, it's from our Lord, from our Savior, that his words carry forth the way of what Jesus would have us say and know. Because um, like with all of Scripture, like this, it's breathed out by God. It, it's the word of God. It's, it's Christ's word. Um, it's not just the red letters. It's, it's this whole thing. This whole book is the word of God. Um, and so each book has two authors, God and its human author as well. Uh, it's what we'll call the dual authorship of scripture. Um, 
So we have Peter, he's, he's the writer of this letter. Now the next question then is, who's he writing to? Uh, who's the audience? Um, and so, Peter writes here that he's writing to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so, the original audience of this letter are Christians living in these five regions, um, which would today uh, would be in modern-day Turkey. Uh, they're kind of kind of northern regions of of Turkey or Asia Minor. Um, and later in the letter, we also find out that these these Christians are uh, suffering persecution. Um, mainly like kind of social persecution that they're suffering through like uh, derision, mocking, ostracization, um, being mistreated, those kinds of things. Um, but then at the same time Peter warns of don't be surprised if the fiery trial comes, uh, the furnace, uh, like when you're gonna be martyred or put to death. Like if we th think back to the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, were thrown into the fiery furnace uh, because they refused to bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. Instead, they said, no, we, we will worship our God. Um, and God rescued them out of that. Um, but this, this fiery furnace was uh, appointed by God to, sh to show forth their faith, to... Uh, refine their faith. And so Peter goes on to talk about suffering in that way, that, that it's to refine our faith, that we should rejoice in the hope that we're given in our identities of Christ, uh, that that should carry forth um, and allow us to count ourselves worthy of suffering alongside Christ. Um, if we're suffering because we're doing the right thing, not because... Uh, we murdered someone, because then that, that the suffering is deserved if we're thrown in prison. Um, Peter also mentions that as well. Um, so he's, he's writing to these believers in these five regions of Turkey. Um, and outside of that, they're in these regions and they're facing some kind of persecution. Um, kind of s scholars uh, disagree if these believers are predominantly... Uh, believers from a Jewish background or a Gentile background, if they're Jewish Christians or Gentile Christians, or even how uh, these churches in these regions even started. Um, so, <clears throat> kind of different thoughts on that. Um, so, in Paul's first missionary journey, he did go to Galatia. So the gospel could have spread outside uh, of the church that started in Galatia into these other regions going north, east, and south, or not south, west. Um, or it's also possible uh, that uh, they were started by uh, believers that were in Jerusalem at Pentecost. Uh, Acts chapter 2. Uh, kind of in verse verses eight through ten, 
uh, or 8 through 11, describes some of the audience that's there during Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Um, and verse 9 lays out that there's Jews there from Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, the three of these regions. Uh, so uh, on this day when Peter gave his sermon at Pentecost, uh, believers from those regions uh, could have put their faith in Christ and then uh, gone back home and spread the gospel there. Um, or recently, uh, one scholar is also positive that these believers um, actually are, are from Rome, uh, but were expelled from Rome uh, by Emperor Claudius, uh, who reigned from AD 41 to AD 54. Because um, he had, uh, we know in the book of Acts, chapter 18, verse 2, uh, talks about when Paul met uh, Aquila and his wife Priscilla in the city of Corinth. And they're there because they were, all the Jews were expelled from the city of Rome by a decree of Emperor Claudius. Um, and then also there's a Roman historian by the name of uh, Suetonius who, who wrote at this time uh, that since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, Emperor Claudius expelled them from Rome. And so it's possible that uh, these uh, believers, uh, mainly Jew Jewish Christians in the city of Rome, were kicked out, kicked out of Rome by Emperor Claudius. And often when uh, the Roman Empire would kick people out of a place or move one place to another, they'd have them either go to an established city or start a new city somewhere else in the Roman Empire. And during Claudius's reign, uh, he started cities in each of these five reg regions. Um, so that's another possibility as well. But nevertheless, like, whether these were predominantly Jewish Christians or Gentile Christians or how these churches started, the most important thing is that they're Christians, that they're believers in Jesus Christ um, who are suffering persecution. Those are the two main things. They're believers in Jesus Christ and they're suffering persecution. Um, and so that leads directly into uh, that kind of third question of why is Peter writing this? What's, what's the purpose of his letter? Um, and kind of, you can read through the whole letter and kind of com compile a detailed answer of, oh, these are all the reasons he's writing. Um, but kind of a good summary, a good verse as an example of, hey, this is why Peter's writing, comes in chapter 5, verse 12. He writes this, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. That he's... He's writing to detail the grace of God and encouraging them to stand firm. Um, and uh, as I've kind of read through the letter multiple times the last few weeks, um, I kind of, I summarized the letter with kind of two statements. The first statement, Christians are by grace chosen by the Father, set apart from the world, by the work of the Spirit, and members of the new covenant, 
given by Jesus Christ. And then the second point, live out your new identity with hope and joy, standing firm in faith and holiness amidst suffering and pointing others in love to Christ through both your words and good deeds. So Christians are by grace chosen by the Father, set apart from the world by the work of the Spirit, members of the new covenant given by Christ. That These three things are make up the new identity of the believer in Jesus Christ. And so the Christian is to then live out this new identity with hope and joy, standing firm in faith and holiness, even amidst suffering, and in love point others to Jesus Christ through both our words and our good works. Um, so what Peter does, though, in these first two verses is he lays the foundation for all of the, all of that um, and the rest of the letter. Uh, that these first two verses, the rest of the letter is just kind of expanding and building and fleshing the rest of that out. Um, so let's, let's look at these first two verses and notice here in this first verse that Peter, he calls these Christians elect exiles. And so, like here, like apostle now is like other words that we don't really use in this manner. Um, so another word for elect is just chosen. Uh, that these elect exiles are chosen exiles. That they're, um, this is kind of an example, like if we elect someone into office, it's because the voters have chosen them for that office. Um, and the word exile here, it can also mean like foreigner, or stranger or alien, um, basically someone that's living in a certain place, but they consider their true home somewhere else. Um, and so in calling these Christians chosen exiles or elect exiles, um, like, he's not saying that they chose exile, but he's describing uh, just kind of two facets of who they are. Uh, that one, they're chosen by God, which we'll dig more into in kind of when we look at the second verse. But two, they are exiles or foreigners in their kind of earthly societies. In fact, uh, the reason they are exiles is because they've been chosen by God. Because when we're chosen by God, it means we're, we're set apart from the rest of humanity, that he chooses us uh, to have a relationship, um, that we're adopted into his family, that we are given the right to be called children of God, that we are separated out, uh, we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and we're given citizenship in this kingdom. We're now citizens of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, and we have a new home awaiting us in the future, a new home, a better home, and this earth, or this nation where we live, it's just, it's temporary. Um, our true home and our true citizenship, it's, it's not Sioux Falls, it's not the United States, but it's, it's heaven. It's with God, um, not, not here. Um, so here in this world, at this time, we live, we live in it. Um, we're not... Uh, as Jesus prays in John chapter 17, like we're not to 
keep ourselves out of it, but we're, we're in the world, we're just not of the world. Um, so we live in it as foreigners, as exiles, or as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. That we don't live here, or we live here, but we're not from here. We're, we're ambassadors. We're sent from God uh, to represent Him, to live as children of light in this land of darkness. Um, and this word exiles here, it's only used two other times in the New Testament. Um, uh, the next time, or another time it's used is if you jump down to chapter 2, Verse 11, uh, Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And so uh, Peter uses it there as a reminder that we've been set apart, uh, that we are exiles here, that we belong somewhere else. And as part of that, we have new desires and so we should no longer live as we once did. Um, and the author of Hebrews also uses it in Hebrews chapter 11. So Hebrews chapter 11 is kind of known as like the hall of faith, talking about all these Old Testament saints that uh, kind of lived for God, trusted God. Um, and some of them suffered and died or were stones, sawn in two, killed. Uh, but they, they treasured God above all else, uh, awaiting the day of Christ. And then so chapter 12 then is like, all right, we have this great cloud of witnesses, and so let's run with endurance, trip aside every sin and weight that slows us down, instead look to Christ, the author and finisher of our salvation, who uh, is just great. But So chapter 11, uh, verse 13 and so the author of Hebrews kind of talking about some of these. He says, uh, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And so, uh, these Old Testament believers, uh, they, they trust God, they put their faith in God. Um, and they were awaiting a, a new home, a better country, uh, a homeland, uh, a city prepared by God. Uh, and in their, in their earthly lives, they, they didn't see that. Uh, but they still trusted him. That was their hope. That was what they strove towards. And so if we think of Abraham, for instance, he was called up out of the land of Ur and the land of Chaldeans and was given this promise of, I'm going to make from you a chosen people. And I'm going to bring you to the land that, I, that I'm going to show you. And so he becomes a sojourner or a traveler, uh, heading towards the land that the Lord is going to give him. Um, and that's just kind of a, 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 
a foretaste of that the true fulfillment of that uh, that's found in Christ that uh, Paul writes in I think one of the letters to the Corinthians that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ um, that like Abraham like we're, we're called out of this land uh, and are now citizens of some new place that the Lord is bringing us to um, but then also back in first Peter uh, so he calls them elect exiles, but he calls them elect exiles of the dispersion. Um, and so Peter is building off of, kind of in the Old Testament, uh, when Israel and Judah were exiled. Because uh, the word dispersion or diaspora, uh, it usually always refers to um, Jews that have been exiled from Palestine and have been kind of scattered um, like by Assyria and Babylon when they came and destroyed the northern and southern kingdoms um, because of the sins of Israel. And so they were exiled, and in exile they were awaiting the day when the Lord would gather them back up together, return them home, rebuild their kingdom. And so like in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 17, uh, Ezekiel writes, Therefore say, um, or God tells Ezekiel to say, Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, I'll gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And so eventually Cyrus, king of Persia, he issues out this decree, and the Jews can return back to Jerusalem, and they can rebuild the temple. And so they build a new temple under Ezra and Nehemiah, they rebuild the city and the walls, but they're still under the under the rule of Persia. They they don't have their own kingdom again, and this new temple that they build it pales in comparison to Solomon's temple. And so some of the people are weeping because they remembered what the temple used to be, and this new temple it also doesn't fulfill of what Ezekiel promised and chapters 40 through 48 of this new temple where this river of living water flows out from the throne and uh, there's trees of life alongside this river. Um, and so, but, but that, those promises of the kingdom and this new temple, they're, they're inaugurated when Christ comes. He, he brings the start of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And he, he is the new throne, uh, or the new temple, the place of worship, he, because he is, he is God. And he is where the streams of living water are, where any who are thirsty can come and drink and have life everlasting. And he brings life to all those that drink of his water. And so, like, we, we then, as Christians, as God's people, um, we're scattered exiles throughout the world, um, awaiting Christ to finish what he started, for him to return, and the kingdom will come in full. And so kind of, like, this big, this big idea in kind of our passage today is that Christians are chosen exiles, and we're going to keep coming back to that and building on that and building on that. 
Uh, but that big idea I want you guys to remember is Christians are chosen exiles. So let's look at the second verse now. And I'll just reread this entire passage as a reminder. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so, in the second verse, we have kind of three prepositional phrases kind of explaining what it means to be chosen exiles, explaining why we're chosen exiles, how we're chosen exiles, and for our goal, or what, what the reason, what, what our purpose is as chosen exiles. And like, each member of the Trinity, of the Godhead, of God who is one but three, is playing a role here. Um, but this first one then uh, explains why Christians are chosen exiles. So it says, um, we're chosen exiles or elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And so now we have another one of those words, foreknowledge. Um, and a few weeks ago, Pastor Steve kind of laid out uh, what this verb here uh, that comes from Gnosko, uh, what that knowing means. And so I'm not going to reiterate all of that, but in short, uh, this, this isn't just kind of mere fact knowledge of knowing something, like knowing someone is going to put their faith in Christ. Uh, that, that's not what it's talking about. This knowing is an intimate, unique, relational knowing. Um, it's truly knowing someone. Uh, so kind of as an example, like I've either heard stories of or I've even met some of your parents, but I just know of them. I don't know them. My parents, though, I know them because I, I have a relationship with them. Um, so that's the kind of knowing that's talked about here, that uh, before the foundations of the world, uh, God knew his people. He had a relationship with his people. He chose them. Um, that, like, this is kind of this intimate relationship that started before we were even created, before we were even born. Uh, he knew everything about us. And... chose us and it's just kind of this amazing thing of grace that isn't anything that we kind of accomplished ourselves or added to it's it's simply by the grace and mercy of the father um, and so uh, as I'll do for each of these phrases uh, or prepositional phrases where going to look at like some verses that kind of illustrate each of this. Um, so this first one, that we are chosen simply by God's grace and mercy, by the mercy of the Father, uh, not anything in our, our, ourselves, but simply His choice. Um, so like one verse, uh, just kind of skip down to verse this next verse, verse 3. 
according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Um, or uh, Romans 8.29, uh, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And then in that next chapter, Paul explaining kind of that verse and the gospel and God's sovereignty over salvation. Uh, in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 9, he, Paul writes uh, that God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Or Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Or in John chapter 10, verse 25 through 29, Jesus also says uh, this, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of his hand. Um, or, kind of that really glorious passage, uh, that glorious, gracious passage in Ephesians chapter 1, which is some of my favorite parts of Scripture. Um, where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So, why are Christians chosen exiles? It's because we've been chosen by the will of the Father, out of his grace and mercy and nothing else. Just simply his will, his grace, his mercy. Um, so if, if you're listening to this and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's, you're a believer not because you initiated your own salvation and sought out God, or because you're more knowledgeable than others, or because you have more potential to serve God than someone else, or because of any good works you've done. No. Uh, there's no other reason other than God's grace and mercy. And so we should all be, Christians should be the most humble people on this planet. Because without God's grace and mercy, we just remain enslaved to our own selfish desires under the wrath of God, awaiting condemnation with the rest of the world. There's no difference other than God's grace and mercy. And so you have absolutely no reason to boast. Uh, like, this is, kind of goes on in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, why are we chosen exiles? Simply by the grace and mercy of God. Now, let's, let's look at that second one, that second phrase now. So, we are chosen exiles in the sanctification of the Spirit. And so, this, this phrase uh, is now talking about how we are chosen exiles. Um, so, we've looked at why, now we're looking at how. And so, here's another one of those words we only use at certain when we're studying the Bible is sanctification. And so, sanctification, it just means um, kind of to be holy, to make holy, uh, to set apart, uh, to consecrate, um, to kind of be chosen to be special or different. Um, and so, what God does, he pours out his Holy Spirit upon his people. And the Spirit then gives us new hearts, hearts, hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone. Um, he makes us a new creation with new desires. Uh, and he opens our eyes to the goodness of the gospel. And he points us to Christ and then he gifts and empowers us for service to God. Um, and uh, the Holy Spirit, he, he, he is the agent through which rebirth happens of uh, that phrase, born again, that it's the Holy Spirit who does that. And so when someone is sealed by the Holy Spirit, um, they're now a part of this new humanity. They're set apart from old humanity. There's something new. And they've been added to God's chosen people who are exiles here on this earth. And so when the Holy Spirit indwells someone, uh, their eyes are open to the glory and beauty of the gospel. And they're given the gift of faith and granted repentance. That, that's through the Spirit that that happens. Um, and so, if we look at uh, a few verses, we can look at John chapter 3, uh, verses 6 and 8, where Jesus is having that conversation with Nicodemus about what it means to be born again. And he tells him, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes, but it's, it's the Spirit doing what the Spirit does. Um, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12-14. through 14. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, or the person that doesn't have the Spirit of God, uh, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they're spiritually discerned. That uh, we're only able to understand the spiritual things, and like that—that's to understand on on a heart level, not on a knowledge level. But we're only able to understand the spiritual things of God through the Holy Spirit. Or in Ezekiel 
chapter 36 where this promise is given, uh, where God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and get this, and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. And so how we become God's people, his chosen exiles, it's it's either in or, or through the work of the Spirit. And it's only, kind of going back to that, why it's only because of the grace and mercy of the Father. So we're God's chosen exiles because of the grace and mercy of the Father. And we're God's chosen exiles by the work of the Spirit, by us being set apart by the Spirit, uh, by the filling of the Spirit. So we've covered why Christians are chosen exiles and how they're they're chosen exiles. Um, So why? Because the Father's grace and mercy and knowing them, knowing us, knowing me, before the foundation of the world. Uh, And how the Spirit... He makes us a new creation. And so now this, this third phrase, this last phrase, kind of covers the goal of why God does that. Um, and so this is the purpose for why Christians are chosen exiles. It says, and it's for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. And so... Uh, if you look at the Greek, a little bit better translation uh, and kind of a more direct translation. Um, but to kind of make sure there's only one for here, because in the Greek there's, there's only one for and there's only one preposition. Uh, these two ideas are united, that they're kind of the same thing. And so uh, kind of a better translation would be for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And, like, this idea of obedience and the sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ, that's, that's one idea. Uh, and kind of to help us understand that, because uh, that's kind of confusing, uh, is kind of look in chapter 1, skip down to verse 18 and 19. Peter writes, Knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And so when we talk about the blood of Christ, um, you can talk about it, how it cleanses us from sin, uh, frees us of guilt, it uh, satisfies or propitiates the wrath of God, um, but what, it's, what Peter's talking about here um, isn't, isn't one of those things. It's talking about how uh, the blood of Jesus Christ, how because of what his blood does, because of what Jesus did through his life, death, and resurrection, that we are ransomed or rescued uh, from our futile desires or our sinful desires, our futile ways, um, that it's because of Jesus' shed blood that we are free from the enslavement of sin. It's just amazing. Um, So 
Jesus says this in John 8.36. He says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Um, and so we th- talk about this obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's talking about a change of our desires. Of We're given new desires. And more, sp- more specifically, it's talking about the new covenant. Because um, Peter's playing off of the idea of what happened when Israel was given the Mosaic Covenant. So if you look in Exodus chapter 24, um, Moses reads the book of the law of of this covenant to the people, and the covenant is confirmed. Uh, So let's look at verses 7 and 8 in Exodus 24. So then he, that's Moses, He took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people, and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And so this this covenant, it happens, it's sealed, through obedience and blood. Um, and so what Peter is talking about here is that we are chosen exiles for the purpose of being part of this new covenant and living out that new covenant. Um, and so this new covenant uh, that Jesus makes with us uh, like we can, we'll look at a few verses of that as well. And this new covenant is also promised by Jeremiah. Um, so Luke uh, 22, uh, verse 20, and kind of the night Jesus was betrayed, he has the Passover meal, the, the Last Supper with his disciples. And after they're done eating, he takes the cup uh, and says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And Hebrews 8.13, uh, we'll look at a couple of verses in Hebrews. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, talking of Jesus, and speaking of a new covenant, Jesus, he, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And then in the next chapter, chapter 9, verse 15, uh, the author of Hebrews writes, Therefore he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And then uh, Jeremiah 31, and kind of this awesome prophecy and promise, um, he writes, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So not like this old covenant in Exodus chapter 24, because, he says, to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, because we we couldn't keep the old covenant, we break the old covenant, we are sinful by nature, and as soon as we're able to sin, we sin. Um, that 
soon as we're able to sin, we fall under condemnation, that we are deserving of death under that old covenant. And so Jeremiah, uh, kind of back to this, says, my covenant that they broke, um, though I was their husband, and this is God speaking through Jeremiah, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. And from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So this, this new covenant, it's written on our hearts. Uh, when the Spirit gives us hearts of flesh, the new covenant is written on our hearts, and the Spirit causes us uh, to walk in the new covenant. This new covenant that Jesus summarizes as the two great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And the second, you shall love the neighbor, your neighbor as... Uh, Jesus tells his disciples in John, as I have loved you, or um, shall love your neighbor as yourself. That, uh, that's, that's the new covenant. We're no longer uh, under the Mosaic covenant. We're, we're under the law of Christ. Um, and this new covenant uh, means that we can know God. And Everyone that's under the new covenant knows God, and their iniquity is forgiven, and God remembers it no more. Just, just think of that for a moment. God, who is omniscient, all-knowing, chooses to remember our sin no more. He chooses to forget. That's just amazing that someone who knows everything can just say, no, I'm not going to remember that anymore. When I look at Trey, I see my son who's washed in the blood of Christ, who I adopted into my family. Um, I see someone who's perfect and holy, even if he's not, because Christ paid that. And I place my Holy Spirit in him so that he's set apart and he's sanctified for all time. But at the same time, I'm making him sanctified, as it says in Hebrews. That those who are sanctified for all time are being sanctified, or being made holy, or being increasingly set apart from this world of sin. Um, and so, uh, Jesus, he comes, he fulfills and makes obsolete the law of Moses, this old covenant, and institutes a new covenant. And this new covenant we can actually keep because we have the Spirit of God and we're given new hearts and we're made new creations. Um, and so God's chosen people are a new humanity uh, made up of Jew and Gentile alike. And we're now under this new covenant instituted by Christ. And so this is, this is the purpose. And this is the purpose of God's chosen exiles, to be members of this new covenant and to live it out here during our exile, and forevermore. So, kind of to summarize then, uh, Christians are by grace, 
chosen by the Father, set apart from the world by the work of the Spirit, and members of a new covenant instituted by Christ. Um, and all of that is by grace. Um, and so this, this is the new identity of the believer, that they're uh, no longer a sinner in the eyes of God. Instead, they're chosen, they're holy, they're precious, they're cherished. And kind of Peter expands on this throughout the rest of his letters, like, all right, you you Christians, we're, we're chosen. And so this is how we live now. Um, that in these lands where we're, we're foreigners, um, that kind of with our citizenship in heaven that as our true citizenship, like, this is how we live even amongst these lands that were scattered. Um, and so, and then, like, so we could go through and see all the application that Peter lays out, but I think uh, as we continue, if we go through the rest of 1 Peter, we'll see how he does that. Uh, so, kind of as an application, I want you to think of two people. I want you to think of Joseph and Daniel. Both of them are exiles. Uh, Joseph was sold into slavery and sent to Egypt by his brothers. And Daniel uh, was captured and exiled to Babylon uh, when the Babylonian Empire came and conquered Judah. And both of them are living in a different land, but both of them know that God is their true king. Um, and they're willing to follow him no matter what consequences they may face. So, Joseph, he's thrown into prison because he refuses to have sex with Potiphar's wife. Daniel's thrown into a lion's den because he refuses to stop praying to his God. And at the same time of suffering through this and going through these trials um, in these lands, that despite their sufferings, they're both uh, blessing those around them and seeking the good of the land that they're in. Um, but they're living out what Jer Jeremiah commands the exiles to do. In Jeremiah 29, 7, God tells them to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So kind of thinking on that, uh, I have a few points of application. Uh, one is knowing your salvation is by grace alone, through the gift of faith alone, and not of yourself. Humble yourself. Think of others as more important than yourself. Put others first before your, yourself. And submit to one another in love. So first one, humble yourself. Second one, live, live out that new covenant of Christ, that law of Christ. Love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. And so we love God by obeying and following him no matter what happens. That we are willing to suffer through our obedience. Like if our obedience causes the world to hate us, to kill us, to mock us, doesn't matter. 
We love our God above all else. And then rejoice and have hope in that you are God's chosen ones, that you are cherished and precious to God, and that you're exiles who have a better home than this place that's pervasive with sin and death and suffering and brokenness and disease, um, that we have a better home awaiting us, that we are working towards, uh, that God is bringing us to. So humble yourself, love God, and obey Him, be willing to suffer. Rejoice and have hope that we are God's chosen ones, that we're exiles with a better home. Then four, um, because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we need to kill any sinful nationalism that we have and racism, uh, that God's people are made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation, and our citizenship in heaven beats any other citizenship we have. Um, and then five, love your neighbors by blessing those who curse you and point them to Christ both by your words and your good deeds. And Peter hits on that a lot in the rest of the book. Um, and then sixth, uh, we love our neighbors, especially caring and providing for and protecting the, the earthly foreigners that live among us because we ourselves are foreigners on earth, and because Christ came as a foreigner. He, he left his home and dwelt among us to serve us, to love us, to die for us. Um, or uh, Moses and God through Moses commands the people of Israel throughout the Old Testament to love the foreigner and sojourner and stranger among you because you were sojourners and strangers and exiles in the land of Egypt. Um, that our identity as foreigners on earth should cause us to love those who are least among us, who are mistreated by those around us. Um, and then kind of the application for if you're not a Christian, if you're not one of God's chosen exiles, is to pray that your eyes would be opened to the depth of your sin, to the knowledge that you are under the wrath of God and in need of a savior, and that your eyes would be open to the kindness shown to us through the love of Jesus Christ. Because if you turn from your sin and to Christ who, who died for you, even when you were his enemy, you'll find mercy and grace forgiveness of sin. And so just kind of to close and wrap all of this up, I'll pray a prayer from the Valley of Vision, uh, kind of Arthur Bennett's edited collection of Puritan prayers and devotions. Um, and this prayer is based off of this passage, the, these verses that we read. Um, so let's pray. <clears throat> Holy Trinity, all praise to thee for electing me to salvation. By foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling the blood of Jesus, 
Adore the wonders of thy condescending love. Marvel at the true believer's high privilege, with whom all heaven comes to dwell. Abiding in God and God in him. I believe it. Help me experience it to the full. Continue to teach me that Christ's righteousness satisfies justice and evidences thy love. Help me to make use of it by faith as the ground of my peace and of thy favor and acceptance, so that I may live always near the cross. And not feeling the Spirit that proves my saved state, but it's the truth of what Christ did perfectly for me. A holiness in him is by faith made mine, as if I had done it. Therefore I see the use of his righteousness for satisfaction to divine justice in making me righteous. It is not inner sensation that makes Christ's death mine, for that may be delusion, being without the word, but his death, apprehended by my faith, and so testified by word and spirit. I bless thee for these lively exercises of faith, for the righteousness that is mine in Jesus, for grace to resign my will to thee. I rejoice to think that all things are at thy disposal, and to love to leave them there. Then prayer turns holy into praise, and all I can do is to adore and love thee. I want not the favor of man to lean upon, for I know that thy electing grace is infinitely better. Amen.